So let's see what to touch on first. So could you tell me something that you're currently passionate about in your life? Uh, yeah, I'm really, you know, what I'm, I'm really passionate about right now, I would say, is the idea of emotional excellence. And it's, it's been an interesting uh, journey for me because what I, what I found is when I, you know, as I look back through my life, I lived a lot of my life on autopilot and uh, having ideas about, you know, the type of person, the type of man I was supposed to be that really came from other people people like I kind of absorbed them by osmosis really without giving them a tremendous amount if any conscious thought about you know how they related to me or you know the type of person I was and how I could express those values in my own way so I just kind of I tried to conform to stereotypes a lot like what I thought an alpha male was and you know all that kind of stuff a lot of stuff that a lot of guys are really a slave to so and then I you know as I looked through you know, or as I sort of journeyed my own journey, I guess. And then I got really interested in the idea of mental health, um, for example. And, and the reason obviously is because of, of some of the things that have happened in the past. But as I worked, as I went through that, like where I'm really at right now is I'm really reconsidering the idea of like my, I don't want to say my interest in mental health, but it's like, what is the best way to help people overall? And how I see it is the ideas of emotional excellence, which are kind of like uh, self-awareness, self-mastery, and and finding ways to selflessly serve other people and teaching yourself these skills because they are just skills. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like the idea of living life on offense, right? Like, I mean, so I just, it's those ideas that I'm really passionate about right now because I see people, and I typically deal with mostly guys, in my, but I mean, I see everybody and there's a huge opportunity to develop these skills and I really feel like they're universally applicable. So when I look at, you know, when I look at uh, mental health, for example, I see a lot of people who have been through, you know, tremendous trauma, obviously, but they define their past, present, and future through the lens of that trauma and I think there's a probably a better way to go about that. I'm not a mental health professional, but I, I know that, you know, being intentional and practicing, taking tiny, tiny steps and developing skills like, you know, how to identify and overcome limiting beliefs or how to, how to learn the skill of emotional validation, for example, or how to, you know, practice being present or to understand that the purpose of meditation is to con to develop the skills to be able to constantly reality check yourself in the moment, like all of that kind of stuff that applies to everybody. You know, and developing those skills is important for everybody. So I, that's really what I'm passionate about right now. But it's kind of a thinking about it in those terms and through, through the lens, I guess, of emotional excellence is kind of new. But it's super, super exciting to me. So I would say uh, that's what I'm passionate about at the moment. Yeah, I, um, can, you, can you explain a little more about emotional validation you mentioned then? Yeah, absolutely. So this is actually, I, I think that uh, of, of all of the skills that we can develop for, you know, creating and nurturing relationships or, or forming real human connection. Emotional validation is the number one most important skill. And it's the one that most people do the opposite of, even with the best of intentions. So emotional validation is really the idea of wanting, like being genuinely curious about uh, and acknowledging and accepting that somebody else's emotional experience is real to them. Is basically what it is. So, in other words, let's say I'll give you I'll give you an example from my from my life and and just to kind of walk through what it is and and how it works. So, my daughter is 14 years old, 
and she's in grade nine, right? So at the beginning of school, uh, uh, the beginning of the school year, she had a couple of weeks where she was like just overwhelmed with everything, you know, new school, new friends, like new way of going about classes. The school was much bigger. And plus she's in grade nine, like everything's a big deal, right? So, um, so for the first like seven, eight days of school, she was basically bawling constantly. Like, don't make me go back there, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to go back. And like super, super upset. So the, the younger version of me would have said something like this to her with, again, with the absolute best of intentions. It would have been like, okay, so crying is not going to solve your problem, right? So stop crying. Uh, and then, well, let's figure out what to actually do ab about it, you know? And so what would have happened was she would have stopped crying and I probably would have praised her for stopping crying in the sense that I would have said something like, okay, cool. So now that you got a handle on things, like, let's go, let's go, uh, you know, sort this out. And was because my, 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 I looked at everything through the lens of a problem that like through the lens of problem solving, right? So if you're upset, there's a problem that's causing you to be upset. Let's solve that problem and then move past it. And, but the message I would have sent to her was I would have praised her for, you know, not crying. So in other words, if I would have taught her that she gets praised when she doesn't express the emotions she's actually feeling, right? And that's, that's a really dangerous precedent to set. So what I did instead, so that was very invalidating to her because it was basically saying the way you're feeling and the way you're acting is not, is not legit. You got to calm down and then we'll sort this thing out. The, the thing is, though, there wasn't really a specific problem that needed to be solved in this case. Like, you know, she just needed to be no, she just needed to know that she was heard and understood by someone that she cares about. So what I did instead was I said, okay, listen, I can see you're feeling completely overwhelmed right now. So acknowledging the emotion that she's feeling and acknowledging that there are no, there are no right or wrong emotions. There, there are none. Every emotion you feel is legitimate, right? Yeah. Because, uh, but everything else, like we label them as good or bad. So anyways, I acknowledged her emotions and said, I can see you're feeling totally overwhelmed. And then the second part of, of emotional validation is acknowledging that, you know, if, that those emotions are understandable under the circumstance. So if I was looking at the world through the way, the way she was looking at the world, I'd probably feel those emotions too. Right. Yeah. So I said, after I said, yeah, I can, I can see you're feeling totally overwhelmed. I said like, and like, it's normal and understandable that you feel overwhelmed. You're in a new school. You don't know anybody, you know, it's much bigger. It's much different, blah, 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 all these things. And, and I said, like, honestly, I remember what it was like to be in grade nine too. And I went to a new school and, um, and I felt the exact same way, you know, so I get it. And so what I did was I searched my own experience to try to find a common sort of shared experience that I could say. So anyways, by acknowledging her, her emotion, by t helping her understand that I see that her emotion is normal under like it's understandable under the circumstance, her level of, of, uh, emotional arousal, say just the temperature just came right down. And you know what? There was no problem that needed to be solved. She just needed to be heard and understood. So that's emotional validation. And it's, it is, a, it, you, there are opportunities to use it in every situation. So the simpler way to think about it is it's expressed empathy, right? So it's a way for you to be curious about another person's emotional state and really work to try to put yourself to see the world through their eyes. Because if you see the th world through their eyes, it's typically very easy to understand and relate to 
how they're feeling and, and why they're feeling that way. So um, it's, it, it is really a superpower. And I'll just say one other thing is that in order to actually do emotional validation right, you have to, it really is helpful to look at the world with a couple of different assumptions. Okay, the first assumption is the things people do make sense to them. Right. So they make, they might make no sense to you, but they make sense to them. So if you are always looking at the world with the perspective of the, that what I'm doing makes sense to me, it makes you curious about why does that make sense to you? Like, what are you feeling? What's your background? What happened? What are your beliefs that uh, make that make sense to you? The other one is that everybody's doing the best they can in the moment. Right. So if they could be doing better, they, they, they would. So, and maybe the best they're doing in the moment is actually pretty terrible in your eyes. But if you just think about it in terms of, of they're doing the best they can, it makes you much more compassionate. And it gives you a, a more open-minded uh, perspective in which to start and carry on a conversation, which changes the energy of the conversation and just deepens human connection. The other one is there's no single truth, man. My truth is as equally as valid to me as yours is to you. And if we approach our interactions with one another that way, again, it stimulates curiosity. Um, and I really believe that curiosity is the opposite of anger. And curiosity is a huge, uh, a huge foundational component of forming human connection. Because if I'm genuinely interested in understanding you and your point of view, and again, where you've come from and all that kind of stuff, it really fosters uh, human connection. And then the, the last thing is interpret things in the most benign way possible. So we had this guy in one of our mastermind groups uh, last week, actually, and he was talking about his wife and she was very uh, emotionally, just really upset, basically emotionally dysregulated, super upset. And she was saying all kinds of nasty things to him. And so his, his thing was, she is intentionally trying to hurt me. Right. Okay. And so if you, when you interpret her motives that way, you're not moving past that. Right. Because you're thinking, why would I want to interact with somebody who's trying to hurt me? Where if you work really hard and it, this is a hard thing to do, especially in the moment, but if you work really hard to try to find a more benign interpretation of the way she's acting, like for example, maybe she's been hurt in the past and what you did triggered a memory of, you know, something that happened to her in the past, or maybe, you know, whatever, it could be anything. Maybe she is super upset about something that happened at work, or maybe there's a million different reasons. But my point is, if you search for a more benign interpretation of why she, why the other person is acting the way they are, it will make you much more receptive and much more curious about finding out, um, finding out what's going on with them. So that's, yeah, that's awesome. Especially, I mean, I can imagine some of my listeners, it's got to be um, particularly pertinent because having been there myself with, uh, you know, emotions and not understanding where they're coming from and trying to dig into how best to interpret these emotions. Like for, for me, it was uh, anger and frustration, which was based on not feeling like I had a purpose and not knowing what I wanted to do. So, I mean, that's, that's really powerful when you, I mean, you put that really, really well. So thank you for that. I mean, is there, it, when, when you, when you talk from there, it, what sort of books would you be reading Jace for, um, for, to discover this sort of stuff and understand this stuff? Can you recommend well, So that's a great question. So let me maybe give you a little background. So I, I didn't know any of this stuff until last year when I took this course called family connections. And basically the purpose of this course is to, it's for, People, this was training for people who wanted to facilitate peer support groups 
of family members with emotionally dysregulated loved ones. So in other words, that's a mouthful, but in other words, family members of people who have, you know, of people who are struggling badly with their emotions, right? So, and when I went through this course, th those four assumptions, uh, that's directly from that course. So I don't want people thinking I uh, came up with that on my own. But what I realized is with my, my first wife who was, dealt with severe mental health issues and was extremely, extremely emotionally dysregulated pretty much all of the time. And I, when I went through this course, I was like, Oh my God, I did. I was like doing all of the wrong things in this. Like I invalidated her constantly because I was like, so in other words, what, how I would do it, my way of thinking it was, okay, so you're mentally ill and I'm not. Therefore my way of thinking is better than your way of thinking or like look at the freaking chaos and destruction that so many of your decisions have caused like i'm not even going to listen to what you have to say at this point and so what i was doing was i was constantly invalidating her and it just made it it just made everything worse because if i had it's not that like I think one key point and then I'll, before I get to any the material is that validation is also not a tool to fix the other person. Validation is a tool for the, for you to be more effective. That's all it is. Right. So, and it's possible that when you help someone feel unheard and understood, you may make it easier for them to understand and like not judge their own emotions and to process them. That can definitely happen. And you can definitely make, that, that connection can definitely make another person more receptive to hearing your advice. So if they feel a connection to you and like you actually understand what's going on with them, they're obviously going to like they potentially might be more open to listening to what you have to say because they understand that you get where they're coming from. Yeah. Typically when we, when we just jump to problem solving though, that we miss that really crucial first step. So I guess that's the first thing that, that that's the first place I learned it um, was through this family connections course. And then, Around emotional validation, there's a book called I Hear You. And uh, I'm actually just, I'm listening to the audio book right now again. And it's, it's a short book. It's like a couple hour audio book. And he talks through this entire concept and, and with real world examples and how to put it into practice. And I'm telling you, man, it's, a, it's an absolute superpower. It works all the time, all the time. So this, yeah, this is particularly uh, poignant for me because I've had trouble with my how I interact with my son. And this is one of the reasons I went on the mastermind last year was to improve my relationship. Mm -hmm. um, so that is awesome to, to feel at this because we've looked at the behavioral uh, problems and uh, ADHD and, you know, all the mm -hmm. other different things. But I'm, I become more acutely aware that it was how I was interacting with him because <clears throat> at some point you've got to take responsibility for, I mean, there's two people in that conversation, irrespective, right. of, irrespective of how my son reacts. He, he hasn't got the emotional intelligence yet to be as uh, mature as maybe I might be in that situation. So it's, it's on me. The onus is on me to understand the situation better. I absolutely, man, that's a huge insight. And I think too, it comes down to, what what being effective means is different in every conversation or every interaction. So I think it's important to be like always thinking about that and being aware of that, especially when one person is 
is, you know, worked up or angry, upset or whatever is like, okay, what would it mean to be effective in this situation? And then what might I do in order to be effective? Because I think so often we focus on being right. Like maybe if you're okay with it, I'll just tell you one more quick story about emotional validation and how it worked. So it was actually my same daughter uh, who's who's a great kid. So I don't want to make her tell it sound like a freaking spaz here, but um, so she, um, a couple, so again, she's 14 and uh, about maybe three weeks ago, she ran away from home. So, and uh, so what, but what she did was she just, I don't even actually remember what triggered it, but she basically felt like all teenagers can feel like nobody gets me, man. Like I'm, I'm totally misunderstood by everybody, right? You get in that face. So she's like, I'm going to run away from home. So I said to her, I said to her, like, you know, so this is where the this is where the emotional validation piece came in. So she was all upset. And I said, look, I understand that you feel like nobody under like I get that you feel like nobody understands you. I spent like I spent most of my teenage years feeling like nobody understood me. You know, it was super frustrating. And I also totally understand that if you feel like you're surrounded by a bunch of people that don't understand you, that you want to get away from them. Right? Yeah. Like I get it that's totally normal that you would feel that way. And I'm telling you, man, just doing that lowered the temperature so much that the only reason she ended up, I mean, like she went, she went to my mother's house around the corner. I knew she wasn't going far, but, but, but the only, just me validating her in that way made it. She was not even mad anymore by the time she left. She only left because she had to save face. You know what I mean? So she said she was leaving, but, but it was like, it was like, just it's it's crazy what happens so um you know and i I just said you're always welcome here so you you always have a home here right so but uh but just being uh calm and curious and and validating was a huge huge thing in 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 lowering the temperature and me being effective which is which so for me being effective in that moment was you know maintaining that human connection and knowing that knowing that uh you know I wanted her not to go far and I wanted her to stay safe. Right. So later when I, when I, um, I, she was gone for a few hours. I, te- I knew I could see like, cause we have friend finder on her phone. I could, she doesn't know this, but I could see that she was at my mother, my mother's house, but I texted her after. And I said, um, I said, even though I knew she was there, I didn't want her to like, you know, I, she doesn't know we, she doesn't know we know she went there, but I texted her and I said, like, I just want to make sure that you're safe. You know, and she texted me back right away and said, yeah, I'm safe. You know, I would have been upset actually if she hadn't done that. Uh, But, uh, but she did it right away. So, you know, I mean, so my, but my point is like, that's another example of how validation, what I would have done in the past is I would have just tried to correct her thinking, you know, you look at all the good things you have in your life. You have parents that love you. You have a safe home, like all this kind of stuff. And I would have totally invalidated her emotions because I would have been trying to convince her that the way she was feeling was not valid in this moment. And there are no invalid emotions, right? There are invalid behaviors. And I, one thing I'll say too is that emotional validation does not mean agreeing with somebody, right? So you don't have to agree with someone. So I found like, personally, I found the thing that she got up. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I remember the moment thinking the thing she got upset with was so absurd. You know what I mean? It's like, so I didn't agree with it, obviously, but I, but I understand that the, the emotions she's feeling are absolutely real to her. So that's, that's, that's emotional validation action. I don't want people, I want to make sure people understand that it's not agreement. It doesn't have to be agreement. It doesn't have to be allowing crappy behavior to continue. That's, mm-hmm. that's not that. Right. So, which is crappy behavior being down to you, the own individual's definition of crappy behavior. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Um, cause it, 
there's so much more I need to learn, James. I just realized as you're talking because I can hear myself in some of your statements. Mm-hmm. Um, and that this is coming from an angle of trying to understand uh, situations and people and uh, their thinking. And then sometimes what I've noticed, if, if, I, if I've exhausted all my internal brain map, where I want to go and how I can help, and that's where frustration kicks in. And then you, you, you become at a loss because you, you're like, okay, well, I've tried everything. So over to them now, they need to, they need to want to change too, mm-hmm. which I understand for people to change, uh, there needs to be a buy-in from the other side. But what I find difficult with my son is the fact that sometimes I don't believe he wants the change. So how would, how would you, um, approach something like that situation where you feel you're just not butting heads, but like what you're saying is not going in. Mm. So how old's your son? He's 13. Okay. So this is, this is a really interesting topic for me because actually I was talking to my wife about this yesterday. So I, because I'm not sure at like, so again, my kids are 14 and 13 and you know, as you see, they are approaching adulthood like very rapidly here like they're still kids obviously but you know every day they get closer to they're they're more sovereign autonomous human beings and I really I don't know that I have a good answer to this question because I'm really I find myself wondering what the best way to approach this is because I feel like like so I'm very happy I would say with my kids like where my kids are headed however like my older daughter for example she does not take the initiative in in things right so for and like she's kind she's got great values and all that kind of stuff but you know she's just not an initiative taker and she's more of an uh in sort of an introverted person and so we were talking about this last night and you know she there was a couple things that i really would like her to take like to like to seize you know to go after but i don't know what the right way to handle it is because i feel like she knows my she knows my point of view about it and i don't feel like pushing her towards it is really the right thing to do. I actually just, I feel like there's a great, there's great lesson in experiencing the natural consequences of your actions, right? So if she doesn't go after this thing, uh, which is like a kind of a coaching opportunity uh, at, at her, at a cheerleading thing, then she's not, you know, part of me would hate to see her miss out on it. Yeah. But ultimately I think she's got to deal with the natural consequences of not going after it. If that's what she chooses. Right. And I think, I think there's a lot there. So I, I think I'm not really sure what the balance is uh, there, but it's something we are always talking about. But I, I would say that I try to, and what seems to have been effective for me is I try to, I always try to get the lessons across to my kids in a context that they can understand. So for example, I'll use a cheerleading example, right? So I try to talk to my daughter uh, is really into it. And I try to talk to them. I try to always be not emotionally invested in how I deliver the message, but emotionally invested in, in the fact that I, the content of the message. So I can frame stuff with her in, 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 I can be creative in framing things in a way that she's super interested in. Like, you know, like, so, um, you know, cheerleading. I mean, if you think of something like cheerleading, you think of, you can think of teamwork, you can just think of discipline, you can think of fear, you can think of failure, you can think of, you know, playing to everybody's strengths. You can, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like there's a million different life lessons in there that you can, I can talk to her about in a way that she can relate to and be excited about without sounding like a father who's preaching at his teenage daughter. You know, so I think that's important. And I think too, 
driving home the importance of family, like, so uh, uh, positive family dynamics is, is super important. Um, but also not when you're giving your kids hell about something, right? <laughs> I think yeah. that's, I think that's part of something that a lot of parents do all the time is they, when things aren't going right, they want to point out what's not going right. And they tend to be upset about it where we just like, so say I'm driving my daughter again, say for example, to a cheerleading thing. And she, I remember one time she said, do you mind driving me? Uh, do you ever mind driving me all over the place for this? And I said, yeah, not at all. Because it feels like for me, I kind of look at it as my, you know, it's part of my job as a dad. And it makes me happy to do that because I feel like we're all doing our jobs to keep this family happy and safe and healthy. Like the way you guys help out around the house and like that, there's a direct relationship between that and me feeling good about doing this. Right. So, so no. And, and, but so no, I really enjoy doing it, but it's your actions that, that help create that sense of enjoyment for me. So the message is, you know, we're having a nice moment. She's understanding how she contributed to it and she understands that she better keep doing it if she wants to, you know, if she wants this type of thing to continue. So, but it's said in a way that's like all just conversational and collaborative, you know what I mean? So I think it's, I think for me, what's been really helpful is trying to, um, is trying to find creative ways to talk about that stuff in the way that a 14 year old who thinks their parent is a dork, you know, is willing to listen to. So, so do you have a family uh, mission statement or anything like that? No, we don't have a family mission statement, but, and it's funny, we've tried to do, uh, like we do these family meetings, for example, and the kids hate them. Oh my God. It's, it's hilarious. So we'll do them like maybe once a month and it's like oh, family meeting. And you know, so, and, but we'll try different things. And I think, so again, I think being not wet into the, how you deliver the message. So for example, we tried this thing where I'm really into this, uh, like this change management methodology called appreciative inquiry, which is asking like really powerful questions and, and all that kind of stuff. And so I thought, well, I'm going to try this in this a couple of months ago in our family meeting. And it was the hugest flop. It was like, oh my God. And so, but I think as a parent, you know, I was talking to my kids about it after I'm like, oh my God, that was awful. Wasn't it? And they were like, they were like, oh my God, that was the worst thing ever. So, I mean, and I said to them, you know, like, so I, I've never had 14 and 13 year olds. Like every day is a, a learning opportunity. So, you know, this is a, making, I think having a self-deprecating sense of, you know, when things work and when things don't and just being able to laugh at it also is an important message for the kids. So like, yeah, I would, you know, I'm a, I want to just want to try something new to see how it felt and see if, you know, if you guys liked it and if we liked it, but obviously it didn't work out in the slightest. So, you know, that's okay. We won't do that again. We'll try something else, right? Like life is a learning journey. So I think just being able to laugh at myself uh, was good. So, but my, to answer your question now, we don't really have a family mission statement. I think, I think my wife and I have a very clear sense of our own core values and we try to live to those. And I think that I, I, I think modeling that behavior is is per, a pretty effective way of of helping the kids understand their own core values. In fact, I was just talking to my daughter at dinner yesterday, and and uh, I said to her like, I'm really because high school can be very challenging, you know. And and when I was a teenager, I didn't have the self confidence or self awareness to know what felt right to me. I think I actually knew what felt right to me, but I didn't have the courage. Maybe is a better way of putting it to. Mm to stick to those values. It was much more important to me to be accepted. And she is not like that, man. And, and um, so I was, I was complimenting her at dinner that I uh, just really impressed at her sense of self-awareness and her sense of 
her ability to stick to what feels uh, good to her, you know? And so, um, so I think it's working, but it's, it's, we haven't done a specific core values. It's more of a living those things and, and just not always being perfect at it by any stretch of the imagination, but just doing our best to try to live in alignment with our own core values. Yeah. I think values are the big one. It's something I picked up when we when I did that mastermind, like I said, um, I, I found it quite impactful because it helped me understand where I was going and, and what I was about, which I, di- I didn't know before. Right. Yeah. And it, that's, so that's what I mean. That's one of the components of emotional excellence and so is, is self-awareness. And I think when you understand what your core values are, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that you're always going to make choices that are in alignment with them. Like, obviously, man, we make a million choices every day and some of them are going to be the choices that create what we want. And some of them are going to be choices where we, you know, succumb say to some of our, you know, uh, maybe not the greatest, uh, you know, motivations or fears or whatever. But so, but what they do is they give you a sounding board against which to like make your decision. So if you make, if you're clear on your core values and you make a decision that's not in alignment with them, you're going to be aware of it and it's not going to feel very good. Whereas if you don't go through that exercise, it's, you don't really have that kind of, uh, you know, framework, I guess, against which to base your decisions. And you kind of just cruise through life on autopilot. And I think, I think having those core values just gives you these over time, these little course corrections that it's like steering the Titanic in a way, you know, a couple of years later, you realize, well, I'm kind of pointed in a different direction here. And it's as a result of having just had some more information and context in which to make this my day-to-day life decisions. You know, that's what core values provides you. Yeah, you touched on a good point there then, autopilot. I mean, it's, again, that's something I can resonate with and hopefully my uh, my listeners. So what was you, before you um, maybe come to a crossroads or that the point of change, I mean, I've read your book. Mm-hmm. So I, I, your book, I'm going to go into your book, but I, I thought it was very um, honest and vulnerable, mm-hmm. which I think is really really important message to be out there right now, especially with all the macho BS that's going on. You know, I think, I think mm-hmm. us as men need to be empowered to be able to be vulnerable. Um, so yeah, I, I'd like my listeners to be able to draw conclusions of their own from crossroads. Like I said, for myself, it was anger and frustration. How was that manifesting for you? The, the, the pre, the pre, pre the change. Uh, so, okay. So I think what you're asking is like, basically what I, where I was, was trapped in a sea of hurt without even realizing it. Like, so, you know, my wife was mentally ill. She, she took her own life and, and that experience, like her, her descent, I would say, you know, for six years, five or six years, five and a half years, I guess, uh, of living with somebody who was completely out of control like, like almost nonstop, uh, to her taking her own life was extremely traumatic for me. And, but I, I didn't even, I did not understand that at all. Like I just, because I was too busy, you know, I I was, I started drinking heavily as a result of that experience of going through that experience to try to cope with my own emotions. And so I guess where I was, was caught so deeply in a web of rationalizations about why my behavior was okay. Like it's okay to drink every day, like a lot. It's okay to have this huge drinking problem. Although I didn't see it as a problem because look, man, I've been through hell. 
Like I, I, I tried, I spent six years trying to keep my wife alive. I saw all kinds of crazy things. I was a single, basically single dad for a long time. I, uh, buried her. I raised these kids through that. I built a new life. I built a new family. I've got a good job. I'm, you know, relatively fit, blah, 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 all these things. And it was like, I actually believed that. And I actually said this out loud, honestly, and, and kind of believed it was that maybe more people should drink like me so they could be absolutely awesome. Just like I am. Right. But what I, what I, that was just fear and pain talking, but I had so little self-awareness. Holy crap. Is it bright? Um, so I had so little uh, pain and self-awareness that, uh, or I had so little self-awareness that I couldn't see what was happening to me and I couldn't see how, um, what, I, how much destruction I was really causing in my own life and how much pain I was causing to people like my wife, for my new wife, for example. So, you know, and I look back on that now and I think, God, how many, how many people are in that exact same situation where, They've, they, I mean, I talk to guys all the time who have been deeply hurt in the past and they don't understand the relationship between the hurt that they felt, the, 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 the hurt or trauma they experienced then and how that is related to the pain they're feeling now, right? They just, either, they, they either don't quite understand the connection. They feel like they've dealt with the pain uh, because they've, you know, moved past it. Or they do understand that there's a relationship between the two things, but they don't want to go back and revisit it because it's too painful, right? So, so I guess that's what I would – I don't know if that answered your question, but for me it was I was deeply hurt and I needed to heal from that hurt, but I had no idea at all that I had been hurt because the idea of admitting I had been hurt um, to- totally didn't jive with what I thought it meant to be a macho kind of dude, right? Yeah. Fucking that doesn't – macho guys don't get hurt. Right. So it wasn't even something that was really in my sphere of contemplation or whatever, you know, I just didn't even decide, but you know, four years after her death, I was still continuing to drink like a fish every night. So, and then when I stopped drinking, it was like, yeah, you know what? I, uh, I started feeling the hurt, you know, and I started grieving her death five years after her death. And I remember saying to my wife now, like, do you find this odd that I am like, writing about, and I did all kinds of stuff. Like, I mean, you know, I wrote about her death a lot. I, I wrote, I remember one time I rode my bike, uh, 218 kilometers, like round trip to her grave. And I, I just had this, and I stayed there for like 15 minutes. And, and then I came home, like it was, it was the weirdest thing, but I felt like I had to do that. And as I went through that process and just allowed myself to feel those feelings, and even when it started to happen, I didn't know it was grief. I did not know what the feeling was. I just thought I actually felt like I was going crazy in some ways um, because I had never allowed myself to experience these feelings before. And it was my wife who said, you're, you're grieving idiot. Like (laughs) just let it basically, you know, let it, let it happen. You know, it's, it's got to happen. And it, it really allowed me to reframe the past as like this dark period of, you know, hell or whatever to, um, to a couple, to looking at it in a couple different ways. One is, you know, it was an absolutely essential part of the journey that made me into the person that I am today. <laughs> and uh, and the second thing is, it's what happened is neither good or bad. It's just something that happened. And you know, so because it's 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 kind of like neither good or bad, and it's both at the same time. It's a you know, like because a lot of goodness came out of her illness and death. A lot, 
You know, like I've, I've impacted innumerably more people than I would have otherwise, you know? So like to, so it's just, it's, it's something that happened and any meaning we place on it is our own construction really. You know what I mean? So, but that getting to that point of being able to sort of free myself and look at it that way has taken a long time. Let's take it up until recently. Right. So, so I don't know if that answered your question. That was yeah, a lot no, of words. No, that was, that was good. Um, so obviously you're comfortable with feelings now. So how do you, how do you approach uh, your own feelings? How do you manage your own emotions now? Mm, great question. So, you know, I allow myself to, to feel them I, without judgment, I think is the most important thing. So I, I made a podcast about this a few weeks ago. So things happen all the time where you might have a reaction. Like I might have a reaction that I'm not expecting. So I had this situation at a yoga class about like two months ago where I was walking out of the class and, and the, te- the class had gone on a few minutes late and I had to, I had to leave right at the time the class was over because I had to come home and help my wife get ready for some friends coming over. So anyways, the, the instructor at the class went late. So I left before the class was over. And as I'm walking out the, coming out of the change room, she goes, she goes, uh, you know, it's really disruptive when you, when you walk, if, if you leave the class early. And the first thought that went through my head was fuck you <laughs> finish your fucking class on time, you know? And I, of course I didn't say that. And, but then I left and the whole thing bothered me for two, like hours afterwards. Right. And I'm like, why is this bothering me? Like, you know, and, and I think what I came to eventually was it bothered me because why did I even react that way in, in my head in the first place is actually what, like what I was trying to figure out, like, why did that cause that kind of reaction? But I just, I just let myself like, it's an interesting thing to think about, you know? So I had this emotional reaction and now I just let myself think about it because I know that that kind of stuff is always going to happen, you know? Like, so what I would have done in the past is I would have said, okay, like I wouldn't have even acknowledged to myself that I was upset about it because who, what kind of macho dude gets upset about a reaction and interaction with a yoga instructor? Like, so, and, and, you know, and I just would have dismissed it. And I would have told myself that, you know what, you deserve to have your class distracted if you're going to not be able to, like this, you know, if you're not going to be able to finish on time. Like this is this kind of stuff, the totally non-productive stuff I would have told myself. Where this time I just let myself feel the emotions and I got really curious about why it was that I was feeling them in the first place. And I learned something, right? So that's really what I do right now. And it's, it's um, I just let myself sit with them and analyze them. And I kind of, I kind of try to use meditation and I'm, I'm still like, uh, you know, maybe I'll, I think I'll be a junior meditator for my entire life actually. But, um, but you know, I try to reality check the emotions I'm feeling with my surroundings. Like, do they reflect my, my immediate surroundings? Do they make sense in the context of, of where I am right now and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, it's really just a, a sitting with them, feeling them and really removing, really being, proactive or, or, um, conscious about trying to remove the judgment from feeling those emotions. And I'm pretty good at that now. Cause I understand that, come on, we all feel all the emotions. The only difference between us is who's willing to admit it. Right. So absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And with those, with those feelings, like you say, about putting them into context. So you, you analyzing the thoughts that's running through your head and the stories you're telling yourself at the same time. Yeah, totally. And it's, it really is a, I I think it's such a powerful thing, like, because it allows me to 
accept myself more completely. And I think, I think self-acceptance and self-love is, is the absolute most important thing that somebody can work on in order to change the way they interact with the world. Because our sense of self influences every single decision we make, everyone. It's impossible that it, it doesn't, right? So, and if you think about how pervasive that is, it's from what you have to, for breakfast to how you interact with your kids to the, like the other million decisions you make on a day-to-day basis. And if you're making them from a place of, you know, judgment and self-loathing um, or feelings of low feelings of self-worth, you're, you're going to make decisions that, cr- you know, create more of what you think you don't want. It's just, just how it is, man. And so, you know, I, I just try to focus on that and, and it really is very liberating and freeing because uh, it really frees me up from judgment because our brains, our brains are confirmation machines, man. So if you, and it's so easy to see this when you talk to people, it's always easy to be in a, a more objective third party, but you know, if you, if you don't feel good about yourself as a human being, you're going to find evidence of that confirms that everywhere, man, everywhere. Right. So it's, so if somebody, if you say, put yourself out there, if you don't feel good about yourself and you put yourself out there and somebody, uh, it doesn't go well or somebody rejects you and you treat that as a confirmation of what you already believe about yourself, that's devastating then, right? It's like, oh, another person, just more proof that I'm, I'm a loser or I'm not good enough. And when you are coming at the world from a place like that, even the most, uh, the smallest you know, kind of step to put yourself out there and be more authentic is terrifying, right? So I really counsel people to really start, and that's that's a piece of emotional emotional excellence is self compassion, right? Actively working on developing self compassion and realize that, man, we're all like freaking. It's all we're all messy in some way. We're all trying to figure this out, and it's not a question of other people being further ahead than you or not, because we've all had our own like completely unique experiences as we go through life. So it's just recognizing that where you are right now, you know, is where you are right now. First of all, it doesn't mean that you need to be there in the same spot tomorrow, but there's so many things that have gotten you to this point. And if you could just release some of the judgment about them, there's a million opportunities to learn from them. So I think that, you know, really working on self-acceptance and self-compassion is it's so so important. No, I agree. I um, and oddly enough, if you was to mention or somebody was to tell you about something that they were beating themselves up about, and you were to say, "Well, what if I was saying that to myself and they're a friend?" They would probably be quite compassionate and understanding and sympathetic. Mm-hmm. Yet they're not willing to be that way for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, what would and not after tips, but I mean, mm-hmm. I said self self worth is something that seems to have grown in me over the last year. Um, but what do you think is the, f- the, s- the first step for s- self-worth or self-esteem to increase? That's a, that's a really good question. I, I think, I think maybe a couple things. I think finding opportunities to serve other people is really important, right? I, I think so many people feel like they don't have anything to offer other people. Like, you know, but I mean, it can be literally as simple as being intentional about holding the door open for a stranger, <laughs> you know, like yeah. I, 
I was telling, I was talking to somebody about this a few years ago. I was riding home on my bike. It was this contractor working on our house and he was a typical dude in his fifties, like totally out of shape, you know, hadn't worked out in a long time. And, and I came home riding my bike. Um, and he goes, Oh man, you know, you're, you're really fit. Can you, can you give me a workout routine? And I'm like, no, because I said, I'll make you a deal actually. So I said, I'll make you a deal because my belief is that the reason that you allow yourself to be in this type of condition is because you don't feel worthy of anything better. Like that's what I really, that's what I think is the cause. It's not like how many freaking crunches you can do. It has nothing to do with that. So make a deal. If you commit to holding the door open for a stranger once a day for the next two weeks and looking them in the eye. And when they say, thank you saying you're welcome, if you do that, what you're going to find, right, is you're going to find that you can take a small action that will actually uh, create a sense of appreciation and gratitude in somebody else. And you can, you'll see that you, how little it actually takes to realize that you are worthy of somebody else's appreciation and gratitude. And when you start feeling that, it feels really good. It feels way better than not having it, right? So, and I think that if you see that you actually can take small steps to to do that and to, to have those in types of interactions with people, you'll be in a better headspace to like try to move yourself forward. So if you do that, I'll, I'll talk to you about working out. Right. And of course he never did it and he still looks exactly the same. But, but the point is that I think, I think it's being intentional about finding the smallest ways to uh, serve other people. Another one is like, I always tell people like, and it just takes courage at first, but to say like, Hey, if you see that somebody's struggling with something, or just sense that they're struggling just to say like, man, I've struggled too. And if you ever want to talk to me, I won't judge you. Like, like yeah. I really think those are some of the most powerful words that one human being can say to another, because you're basically saying, I accept you as who you are. I am making it a safe place for you to be who you are. And, and ultimately all we, that's what we all want is to be accepted for who we actually are and to feel safe enough to show it. And so it's like little actions like that. I think that, that really help on, Make it, make it more obvious to you that you can take steps that where you can serve other people. Because I think what people do is they imagine in their mind that if I want to help somebody else, it has to be this gigantic thing that I do. You know what I mean? I got it. Like, and people think, well, I have nothing to offer. And I think another thing I would say is, is, and I, I really feel like this is one of the most important things that somebody can do to develop themselves is have a morning routine, man. Like it changed my life. It absolutely changed my life. And I think that when you do something when you take a, an action and it could be as simple as meditate for five minutes, practice gratitude for two minutes, like write one thing down. Like we're talking, it can be so small, but when you are intentional about starting your day in a certain way and doing things that are good for you, it changes the lens through which you look at the world. And as you start to feel better, um, you start to interact with people in a different way. And this takes time. I'm not saying this is like an overnight thing, but it takes time. But as you start to have different interactions with people and, 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 you know, deeper interactions and you feel better and you're doing things that are good for yourself and you're starting each day that way, it has a way of making you feel better about yourself. Right. And I think, I think that type of self-love and self-compassion is just like, it's like a skill almost it's built over time. Right. And all of a sudden you realize that, well, maybe, maybe there's a few people in the world who get to the point where they are filled with like unequivocal self-compassion and self-love all the time. I'm not there yet. Like, you know, but I'm, I'm, a little closer than I was before. So you know what I mean? I'm, I, I understand that 
I, I feel like I have a decent understanding about the activities and the way I need to live my life, the activities I need to do and the way I need to live my life in order to keep like incrementally moving towards there. So yeah, that's, that's what I would, that's how I'd answer that question. You made me aware of myself then, because uh, when you said about holding the door open and looking people in the eye, um, I've noticed um, I've been able to take compliments and it, it's some, it only read like the last maybe couple of months with people saying, you know, weight loss or you've lost a bit of weight. And usually I'd like come back with some self-depreciating remark, mm-hmm. but now it's just, thank you. I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> right. Right. So this is a perfect example. That's huge, man, because what you're doing when you, people do this all the time because I don't feel worthy of, of this compliment that somebody is paying me. Therefore, I think that they're disingenuous. This people do this all the time. So when we talk about interpreting things in the most benign way possible, interpreting things in the most benign way possible is like maybe they actually meant it, what they said. Yeah. You know, like maybe they actually meant what they said, and maybe I'll take it. I'll choose to take it like that. You know, but when we feel like crap about ourselves, well, how we would typically take a compliment is, oh, this person is just trying to make me feel better because I'm a loser. You know, or, and, and so what you're actually telling that person is you're totally invalidating that person, right? You're saying, you're saying, I don't believe what you are actually saying. That is not a good way to form and maintain meaningful human connection. You know, so again, it, it interpret it in the most benign way possible that maybe they actually mean what they said. And because it just makes it better for you, you know? Yeah. I like that. I, I tell my trying to get my, my parents and, and my son and my wife, when we have these different interactions, everything's a choice. You yeah. know, you know, no matter how strained or the, the severity of the comment, how you take that as a choice. And I think it's quite empowering to realize you have that choice. Yeah, like my wife is a perfect example of this. So she's German and she can be super, super direct, right? And quite, uh, quite critical sometimes, I would say. And so, you know, how I look at that is, how I could look at that. And I mean, I've gotten defensive about it tons of times. Uh, but then I decided to be like, the only person I can change is myself. She's an amazing human being. And the reason that she speaks like that is because she truly believes in my capabilities. And oh, I just played up my microphone over here. Uh, she truly believes in my capabilities and she wants me to be my best. And one of the way, when I look at her dad, I can see why she's exactly how she is. So I chose to look at it instead of her being critical was her expressing how much she loves me and how much she believes in me and how much she cares that I'm at my best. And so, because I I can't count on her to change and just deliver the message in the way that feels great to me, right? I can only change the way I choose to look at it. Now, it doesn't mean I, I'm successful every time. Like, shit, there's still times I get defensive about it, but I'm I'm conscious of it and I'm aware of it and there are more and more times when I am in the moment able to say it's her way of showing that she loves me because it is so, but it's a journey, right? So, but in changing that, in changing that way, I look at that. And like you say, it's an absolute choice. I've really opened myself up to actually, instead of getting again, all emotionally invested in how she delivers the message into emotionally invested in trying to understand the content of the message and seeing if there's anything in there that I can use um, you know, and, and there typically is. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, um, on my own journey to train, when I was training to be a coach, I, I become aware 
of how my delivery could be received by others. So then I become more self-aware of my words and the phrase and the tonality and everything else. And then with that, what I noticed was an expectation for me putting expectations on others that because I'm doing it, they should do it. And, mm-hmm. and I'm, you know, I've, I've gone past that now. And now it's at the point where exactly like you just said, I'm trying to extract the little pieces that will move me forward rather than seeing uh, bold statements, which are trying to crush me or knock me down, you know? Totally, man. So, uh, yeah. And uh, could, could, we, could we loop back to what you mentioned just now? You mentioned about a morning ritual. Could you describe for maybe the listeners what, what maybe you do in the morning? Yeah, of course. I'd love to. So I do. What, what's the most important thing to me, I think, is that I start my day doing something that I feel like is productive or value added. So it, it kind of changes every day. So I would say that there's a few things I do pretty much without fail. And that's I read my, so I have a personal power statement, which is I am disciplined in my pursuit of mastery over the practices that create meaningful human connection. So I read that. Um, and I, and I, I post this in our mastermind groups and it's, it's, like the, this, this whole thing I'm going to describe, I post in our mastermind groups every day because I feel like it's leading by example, but it also, it also holds me accountable. So a personal power statement. And then I, I summarize what I did as far as exercise uh, the previous day. So like the number of active minutes on my Fitbit. And then I just remember what I did and how I felt while I was doing it. Uh, I meditate. I uh, write what I'm grateful for. And I try to get really, I can get pretty verbose on writing what I'm grateful for. Cause I, uh, I don't know. I just, I just enjoy doing it. And then I uh, say my core values and I have five short affirmations uh, that I write, I write those down too. And uh, that's basically it. So it, the whole thing probably it doesn't take long. It probably takes less than half an hour for sure. Less than half an hour, depending on how long I meditate. And then, um, and then I try to do something most mornings, like something like kind of productive. So like, you know, I might edit a podcast uh, I might, uh, you know, interact in, in some of the Facebook groups I'm a member of, like stuff like that, like just to try to add some value. So yeah, that's about it. Like, but again, it's, so there's a couple things there that are pretty set in stone, I would say. And then other stuff is, uh, other stuff is more fluid depending on what I feel like doing on any given day, but yeah. Okay. So uh, th- does that tie into your time management, those things? Cause obviously you've got to be pretty, I mean, cause you, you work as well as trying to do all this stuff as you know, same mm. as me. So how would you, how would you, have you got a time management philosophy or? Uh, I pretty much think I kind of suck at time management actually. So uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, I don't really know how to do that very well. So, cause I, I find that what I do is I, uh, I, I really, my brain is all over the place. Like I, you know, so I really jump from one thing to another. So uh, that's an area I need to to work on for sure. So I no uh, no uh, knowledge bombs on that one. But if anybody else can uh, offer some tips, please, I'll I'll pass them along. <laughs> um, anything on eating? How, how how do you um how do you think your your eating style? Because I know you're into your kombucha and mm. with your training and stuff. Yeah, so eating is interesting. I find because I'm 45, so I find as I get older, I get. I, I get much more in tune with what feels good to my body, you know, like, and trust me, man, I've done everything like for, I've tried, I've, 
fancied myself a bodybuilder at times to a power lifter to like an endurance athlete to, you know, I've tried keto and low carb, like paleo and freaking low fat. And like, I mean, intermittent fasting, 87 meals a day. Like I've done it all. And so taking every supplement a million times. And uh, now I find that I just tend to eat what feels good for my body, which is different on different days. Like, so today I had uh, sausage and eggs for breakfast. Like I tend to eat a lower carb diet for sure. And it's, it's not like a dogmatic thing. It's just that I actually find that I feel better when I eat it. Right. So, but I mean, and I eat, I find I eat, I feel healthy. And when I eat a high fat diet, so I, I eat a lot of like, you know, coconut oil and, you know, like organic peanut butter and like all that kind of stuff. Like, so, um, but yeah, it's pretty vegetable heavy. Uh, you know, I do have some vices. I like ice cream and, uh, you know, I don't know if it's, I think it's beef. I think it's from my, basically the entire time I went through high school, I ate, this is all I ate. My mom, for some reason, I don't know why my mom made my lunch all through high school. And so I ate white bread sandwiches with, (laughs) hard like hard cheese like cheddar cheese no butter nothing and she try, every once in a while she'd try to slip me in a peanut butter and jelly and i'd come home all outraged mom <laughs> i told you God. so um so i still have this weird thing where i like cheese sandwiches <laughs> so i just eat better cheese and healthier bread now you know yeah but um but yeah no i mean it's uh it's just really it's what feels good to me and i find like so higher fat diet lower carb diet um you know, there's times I'll go an entire day, you know, eating just like vegetarian, not by choice, just because it's maybe like not, not intentionally necessarily. It's just that, you know, that's just how it works out. My wife's an amazing cook and sometimes she'll make vegetarian dinners and uh, I just have, don't eat any meat that day. But uh, I, I do feel better when I eat meat, actually. Uh, I feel like it, I feel stronger when I eat it. So, I mean, I know that's a kind of a vague answer to your question, but it's, it's always changing. And I find as I get older, um, I just try to be more moderate. I also think that that all of, I realize all of the stuff that I focused on so much, like I don't even think it matters. Like, like you know, getting X amount of protein per body weight and eating this like this many intervals. Like, I don't actually think any of that matters at all. I think if you just eat a healthy, eat what makes you feel good, you're going to be just fine. You know. Yeah, I think that's a, a good bit of advice to your younger self, maybe. Oh yeah, something I could uh, I could certainly apply to my myself, like <laughs> especially with yeah. the, you know, vitamins and protein supplements, like oh. you mentioned. <laughs> so, oh yeah, and you know, I, I would say too, though, what I what I what I find is, and I say say this to the, all the guys in our mastermind groups, for example, we just had this conversation the other day where some guys have some pretty aggressive weight loss goals, and you know. I was saying to them, typically what people do is they, I want to lose X amount of pounds. And they're like, I'm going to do intermittent fasting and this is going to be my feeding window and blah, blah, blah. And all good stuff. But I always say like, make sure you have a morning routine. Okay. And make sure you like, that's why we focus on core values, but make sure you have a morning routine because what's good, what you really want to have in your life is you want to have the, the, the self-awareness in place so that you can start to make over time better choices. So when I started, what was really interesting for me is when I started doing some of this personal development work, that was the first time in my life I got leaner than I have ever been. And it was almost like a byproduct. It wasn't the goal. It was a byproduct of changing my mindset. And I was like, God, how come 
I've been working out at this point for like 26 years and I never clued in to the fact that, you know, that developing myself as a human being would make me make better choices that would lead to more, you know, more uh, like bigger health and wellness outcomes at the same time. Like I, I never made that connection, you know? So now that's part of it is, is I know who I am and I know what's important to me. And so what I look, I look at my physical appearance and and physical performance now, not as a means to an end, like not as the end in and of itself, but more as a proxy for me to assess how much I have my shit together. Right? Like that's really what it's about. And so it's funny as it matters, it matters less to me than it ever has. And I'm pretty much as fit as I've ever been, you know? So that's kind of an ironic realization that I never, I never even clicked into in all those years of working out. Yeah, that's mad. So, well, so you, if, if you start to slip on your training and that sort of tells you that you're, you're off your game in life in general. Yeah. Or, or it tells me it might, or it might tell me that like, I don't feel like doing it right now. You know, like, so I'll give you an example. So I was, I was like for two years, basically all I lifted was kettlebells. Right. And what I, what I used to do was I used to get so dogmatic on the thing that I was doing, like, and, and I would do it at all costs. And so then I started, uh, I started this new job and they have a gym on site and I've been working out there more. I just haven't really felt like lifting kettlebells for the past few months. So I don't lift them, you know, and I'm sure I'll, feel like lifting them again at some point, you know, but I don't get all wrapped up in it. I recognize that health and wellness is a part of my DNA and who I am, but that will take different forms at different times. And I'm actually quite okay with that now. Um, you know, I'm I'll always, I'll always like, for example, work out a lot, I'm sure. Um, but whereas before I looked at yoga, for example, as not like a real workout, but now I'm like, you know what? It's actually freaking awesome. And it helps me, it helps me uh, train my mind as much as my body. And that's, it gives me benefits in all other areas of my life. So the other thing is I don't really find at 45, I have this overpowering desire to kill myself in the gym all the time. You know, I, I I just don't like, I, and I still work out hard. Don't get me wrong, but like, but I'm not going in there to like destroy myself. You know, I want it because I want, I want to maintain a high level of fitness, but a high level of emotional and mental and spiritual development at the same time. And I want it to be sustainable. And I mean, honestly, when you get to 45, you're starting to get a clearer picture of, you know, what you want to maintain as you get into your older years, right? I want to be healthy and strong and flexible. And I don't, I don't really care about how much like I can bench press, you know, it just, it, it used to be very important to me. It has, it is of no importance to me anymore. So, so I've changed my training to accommodate that and I'm, I'm totally okay with it. You know, it's, um, I find that it makes me able to work out more and work out in a way that's more in line with how I'm feeling and what I want to do when I'm just open to pretty much anything, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, uh, I, I, I sold my car to, uh, try and drop some weight. So I've, right. I've dropped a fair bit and this, it's working. So now, because I feel like sometimes I'm pressed for time. So I wake up about five, I've got to be in work for quarter to seven, which means I've got to leave the house at quarter past six. I've got an hour 15 to fit everything in. So part of walking to work is part of the exercise as is walking home. So it's, I try and blend. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> How far do you walk? Like is, I walk about half an hour. It's about two and a half K. Yes. Yeah, uh, I think it's probably, probably less than I'm, this is, 
about it's about a twenty minute walk, uh, but it's it's uphill, so it's it's, it's a good it's a good sweat. So yeah, that's great, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's 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 a little bit different, especially when you can try and blend things, which is what I try and do. Because as I say, it feels like when you when you start getting into this realm of uh, you know self mastery and personal development, where well, I become initially overwhelmed with. Oh yeah, going. You've got to meditate. You've got to journal. Gratitude, you know, and and, and everything else. And I find, like you said, it can take about half an hour to get all those things down. And 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 then you got like uh, what they say about what gets tracked gets measured. Or yeah, yeah. So I measure my sleep and you know lots of different fa- family, work, business, all these different things. I write that little two line sentence about how we're looking. Mm-hmm. But then I found the best way that I could do it was to to blend. So on my walk into work, I'm listening to podcasts or books or. Do you know what I mean? No, so, totally. So, so it, how how you're obviously in the in the same realm. So, how do you? What does a day look like for you um, from wake up to like maybe like bedtime? And what time would be bedtime? Yeah, like so. I usually get up around four fifteen, and I uh, I uh, will do my morning routine. So I'll read. Um, I don't, you know, then I'll, then I would typically do is I, I go back and I lay in bed with my wife for half an hour. We start every day by just talking for half an hour. It's a really nice way to wake up. Basically what happens is I get up at four fifteen, and once I do my morning routine, I'm bored. So I go wake her up <laughs> um, and she's accepted the fact that that's probably how it is. And so, uh, you know, she used to get upset, but, uh, but, uh, so then we, uh, I figured out a way to do it in a way that, you know, it's, it's okay. So, uh, so we talk for half an hour um, and then I get up and I make, I often make the kids breakfast. I really enjoy it. They're perfectly capable of doing it themselves. I just love doing it. And uh, then I'll have a tea with my wife. And so I feel like we've, you know, I've started the day with stuff for me. Uh, we've created a nice connection with her. Like one of the things she said to me just the other day was we, we get the opportunity to recreate our relationship from scratch every day. You know, and it's like, wow, that's nice. a really cool, way. yeah, it's a really cool way of looking at it. And so, so then I'll walk to work and uh, typically listen to a podcast or, but you know, then there's other days where I don't listen to anything because I think it's really important to, sometimes I wonder if I would actually be more productive if I just didn't listen to anything and actually just experienced everything around me, you know, um, and then uh, go to work and uh, do my thing there. And I'll usually work out during the day, probably, probably three days a week, I would say there, uh, there's a huge gym on site. That's a huge blessing actually. So I work out and then I walk home. I get home around eh, probably just before five and uh, depends. You know, I might do mastermind groups, have, do those a couple nights a week, have some coaching calls. Um, you might go for a unicycle ride. Uh, I'll usually go for a walk with my wife after dinner. Um, so yeah, that would be a typical day. And then bedtime depends in the winter time, you know, when it's been dark since, you know, it gets here where I am, it gets dark at like five o'clock, you know, five fifteen at the, in the, you know, the shortest days of the year. And so I'll go to bed earlier then. Cause you know, I don't watch TV or anything. So it's, um, you know, I'll go to bed at like eight 30 usually. And, but in the summertime, it's usually nine 30 or 10, I would say like it's kind of, I kind of, when it gets, I usually wake up in the summertime with the birds chirping as the birds start to chirp and I go to bed when it's uh dusk basically. Right. So yeah, that's, that's what would be a typical day. That's that's a, a biggie you just mentioned then about not watching TV. Oh I mean, yeah, <laughs> no, I, I, a lot of um, when I first started doing this, I had to release content to my mini audience, and one of the things a lot of them said was um, there didn't seem to be enough time. Um, but I, I'd love to, I'd love to, you know, see, see their, their their viewing hours or their Facebook consumption just to, just to 
point some free oh, hours yeah. that could maybe point them in the right direction or something, you know? Yeah. And I don't bring my phone to bed either. Like, so I have a Kindle, so I usually read on my Kindle, but like, cause if I bring my phone to bed, I'll try to read, like I'll try to read on the Kindle app, my phone, but I just like go between Facebook and it's Instagram <laughs> or whatever. It's like, ugh. So I find I'm not, I use social media primarily as a way of connecting with people and for business. Um, but I'm not like a big, you know, crazy Facebooker, you know, and I find it's actually becoming less and less. So I'm just actually, it's interesting trying to find the right balance of how to use it as a business, you know, just, just finding the right balance. So, um, but yeah, I don't forget to bed and it's, uh, I find that really handy. No, I'm the same. I find it difficult to try and balance because I'm in a couple of different groups and I want to be proactive and active. Mm. But then it's like, oh, hang on a minute, where, where does this fit in my day with what I want to do? And it's it's funny, isn't it? Because when you're younger, you don't tend to think of laying down what you want to do. You just tend to do it. It's like, oh, I'll just do this now. It's, it's, yeah, yeah. Cool. Much thought behind it. Um, so you also mentioned then after telling this a day, what, what I've been struggling with lately is um, because I'm trying to get coaching off the ground and the podcast going, I'm aware that it's, my time is being consumed from family. So we've set like two days a week, like Wednesdays and Sundays as family day. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> so my question might be, how, how, how would you know that you're providing the kids with enough one-on-one, well, not one-on-one because you've got two, but you know what I mean? That, that the time after work, how do, how do you tell yourself that it's all good? Mm, that's a good question. I think it's just how the, I think it's just always being aware of the dynamic between us, I guess would be um, like, because there's times, there's been times when it feels like, you know, I think one of the kids needs to maybe a little bit more for us than, than we've been offering or they, they need us to be a little bit more available than we have been. And so I don't, my wife and I always talk about that, I think. And it's, I think that's part of it is making it an important part of our own sort of awareness about our family. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I feel like the routine we have is works for them. So I don't really know how to answer that except just we talk about it a lot. And I think I'm pretty good at understanding where my kids are at and how they're feeling like not even, even without asking them. So um, yeah. And I, and I feel like, starting the day, like being intentional about starting the day, interacting with them and make, you know, making them breakfast and just, or even if I don't make them breakfast, just spending some, like spending time with them in the morning um, tends to set things up really well. So um, yeah, but I don't, I don't think I could really ever let myself for a prolonged period of time get too wrapped up in, um, you know, things that were taking me away from my family. Now, having said that, I think it's also important for them to understand like this is, I think this is the interesting balance. I think it's really important for kids to understand that you're, they're not the center of your world when they're 13 and 14 years old, because they would like to be sometimes, or they, they want to interact with you constantly on their own terms, right? Because kids as verse 13 or 14 are completely self-centered, obviously. I mean, God, I sure was too. And so, so I think what's important is I think there's a, a, a also an important message in them seeing like, for example, on Monday, on say Tuesday and Wednesday nights when I'm doing my mastermind groups that, you know, from eight o'clock, like basically from eight o'clock onwards, I'm, I'm doing my thing and they know what I'm doing. They know why I'm doing it. And, and I think there's, 
it's important for them to see that too, you know? So I don't, I, I don't know that there's a specific answer to your question other than it's fluid and it probably changes every day. And talking about it with your, with your spouse and being aware of it, um, you know, paying attention to your kids, but also letting your kids, it's important for your kids to know that you're not their source of entertainment. Like you're their constant source of entertainment and them being bored is just fine. It's the, it's the birthplace of creativity. You know what I mean? So yeah, that's, that's, that's the thing. That's what I was, you just did it on the head actually is you're not their source of entertainment. Uh, right. You can sometimes feel, cause I've got three, uh, t- t- uh, t- 13, 12 and six in June. So, I mean, the, I mean, the six year olds are different kettle of fish to the other two, but sure. uh, absolutely. Yeah. And my wife used to be a gentleman. So she used, she will say now and again, you know, it's good. They've got to learn to play or interact on their own. But then my guilt will kick in and I'm thinking, oh, yeah, but I should be this and I should, <laughs> I should be mm-hmm. that, you know? Sure. It's uh, it's work in progress anyway. It always is, man. <laughs> and every day is different, right? That's the thing. It's like, so the, that's why talking about it is so important because what, what felt great one day might not feel great the next or what seemed to work uh, for your ever evolving kid one day might not work the next. And so it's, you know, there might be times in their life where they need more from you as just in terms of time or one-on-one time than they do in other times. Right. So it's trying to, I think it's trying to create an environment where they can be open about, about um, letting you know that like, so they're not, you know, suffering in silence or whatever. I, I feel like we've done a pretty decent job of creating an environment where when the kids need something from us or, you know, they can, like I spent a long time talking to my 14 year old yesterday, just for a couple hours, actually, just cause I could tell that she, there was a disturbance in the force. You know what I mean? Like she, she needed it. Right. So, um, and, uh, so just being there and being available and being in tune with that, I think is really important. That's cool. That's awesome. Juice. Um, okay. So I got one last question for you. Um, when you implemented the change that was required in your life, I know we're going back a bit. Um, can you tell the listeners, uh, how that affected the relationships in your life oh man so i think that's probably one of the most powerful lessons that i have taken away is that that the only person i have control over is me and and i've noticed that as i bring a continually evolving version of myself into all of my existing and also new relationships they're all better they're all a million times better and i haven't asked anybody else to change Right. So, um, so I think that's what, what ended up happening was when I had this, you know, kind of epiphany and I stopped drinking, it took my nine-year-old daughter who's 13 now to tell me, look me in the face. And she was like, look my drunk ass in the face and tell me she was disappointed in me to get me to stop drinking. And I, um, once I did that, what I realized was, um, I had this incredibly powerful limiting beliefs and fears about what living a sober life would look like and about myself as a human being. And I didn't, think that I had anything important to say. I think that I didn't think that I was able to even talk in a group of people without drinking. I thought people wouldn't even like the the sober Jay if they knew who that was. Um, you know, I beat myself up for not being able to drink like a normal person, blah, 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 all these things. So basically, I, I the prison I was in was solely constructed by me. And when I stopped drinking, what I realized was none of the fears that these were deeply held fears, man, like, and fears that were so scary that it was just actually easier to continue doing the thing I didn't want to do, which was drinking, like, because it was easier 
than confronting these terrible fears that I had. And when I stopped drinking, I realized, you know, not immediately, but over, over a period of months that the fears were all, none of them came true. All the, in fact, pretty much the opposite of all of them came true. And I realized that my, that prison was entirely constructed by me. And that, that was a massive, and I mean, I was like 41. I mean, that was a massively eye-opening experience because even though I didn't really have the tools or the, you know, to, or the skills to explore it, I had this really powerful feeling that, oh my God, I, there must be a million other ways that I'm holding myself back here. I don't know what they are, but there must be. Right. And so that was a very liberating experience. And then as I, as I, you know, got more comfortable over time about my story and, and, you know, being more open about telling it, uh, I realized, and I started interacting with a different kind of person, you know, more people who were uh, hungry for change and, and interested in serving other people and all this stuff. Um, I just, I started to change and I realized that as I owned my own self, uh, and I started to change and be intentional about doing everything I can to try to create, you know, that change. Um, it really profoundly changed all of my relationships. And, and, and I don't want to say, actually, you know what? I don't want to say for the better. It just changed them all because there were some relationships that, that also kind of faded away, you know, because, which is okay too. Like it not, not, I didn't have any like terrible falling out with anybody. It's just like, yeah, we're on different paths, you know, and it's, I'm not saying my path is better than yours. It's just mine. And they're not really feeling super aligned and that's okay. So, um, but what I've noticed is that as I brought this version of myself, I have so many more people in my life who care about me and want to help me, um, live it as fully as possible. Yeah, it sounds like you dropped the, the, the guilt surrounding uh, relationships, which can sometimes kick in of mm-hmm. people take on. If, if you're on a path and they think you're doing something, it, it, it something seems to kick up where they take on a, um, you know, because you're pursuing something that's different, you therefore think that you're better, therefore they are not. Right. And that's, that's, that's goes back to that self-worth thing we were talking about earlier. People who have a sense of like a, say a compromised sense of self-worth or don't feel good about themselves. That's often how they choose to look at it. That's not how I look at it. I don't think my path is right or wrong for anybody else. It's just mine. Right. Maybe there's pieces you might want to take from it and, you know, learn from it. And maybe there's stuff I said in this podcast that makes no sense to you and has no role to play. And you're like, that's totally fine. I don't think I'm better. I don't ever uh, anymore look at myself in, relative to anybody else. You know, it's just my path, and I'm, I'm trying to share uh, some of it and what I'm learning along the way. What What was the point that you started to join the the dots backwards, Chase? Because you see, so you're you're an author, you're a, a mastermind host. Mm-hmm. So you've got all these different things going on, and your mental health warriors, and your adaptive growth. So at what point did you start to connect the dots backwards? Because it seems now that you've, I don't know, I don't want to put the word purpose to it, but it seems like you've found something and you're going all in. Mm, yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't think there was a definitive point. It's a nonstop evolution, right? So, so for example, if I look at my own, my own journey, I mean, God, I've tried a million things, man. Like I went from, you know, first I started writing, I started this website called From Drunk to Monk. And it was really just me writing about what it's like being sober. And I mean, 
basically a few people read it, but I mean, it certainly was more just, it was just really my own diary. And then, you know, and then I got into the idea of vulnerability and then I got into the idea of fatherhood and how vulnerability is related. And so I wrote a book about that because it was really interesting. It's still interesting to me, but, and then I got into like, you know, being, helping new graduates land a job. Like most of these things produce zero revenue. Let's just be really clear about that. Like this is all just me trying to figure out like who the frig am I and how can I add value here? Like, you know, and then I was like, I did a thing where I was, I got actually got paid quite a bit to go speak to these high performance salespeople about vulnerability. And I'm like, I'm going to teach them how to create customer engagement. And I spent a bunch of time. I'm like, I don't even want to do this. Like, I don't, this doesn't feel good to me. And then it was like, then I'm going to be a family mediator, you know? So I got to try that. And then I did that for six months and I realized, you know, I just really wasn't paired up with the right guy. And, uh, which is, a huge learning opportunity for me too, right? Because it's not that he's a bad person. It's that we weren't well, and I knew this at the beginning yeah. that, but I didn't listen to it. Right. So that was a huge lesson. So then, you know, I mean, so my point is there was no point, uh, no, there was no single point. And that's a, I think an important lesson for people is that you don't intellectualize your purpose. You can't, you have to figure out through tr like constant trial and error about what it is. And when something doesn't work out, it's not, you're not a failure as a human being. It's just an interesting source of information about what felt good about that. And, and you know, what do I want to do more of? What do I want to do less of? What worked? What didn't work? Why didn't it work? Why, why did what work work? Or why did what worked work? You know, and it's just this constant evolution. So, you know, and what will I be doing two years from now? I don't know. I have no idea. Maybe it's the same thing. Maybe it's something totally different, but whatever it is, I'm, it will be in some way aligned with my core values. Right. So like this idea of emotional excellence, I don't know. That sounds really interesting to me. So I think I'll probably be, I tend to go right down the rabbit hole when I, you know, find these, like get on interested in a topic. Like one thing I'm, I know we're kind of going on along here, but one thing I'm really struggling with right now is the idea of mental health warriors. Right. Because, I'm not sure that I am actually interested in mental health as it's currently defined anymore. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I, and, and I don't know how I feel about that, you know, because there's part of me that feels guilty about it. There's part of me that says, I was just talking to my wife about this this morning. I said, there's part of me that feels like, okay, you know what, man, you've made enough of a contribution in this arena where you can feel good about it. If you, but I'm much more, what I see in my own conversations with people is I see that the skills around emotional excellence, as I keep calling it, are universally applicable to everyone. And they could be incredibly therapeutic to a lot of people who define themselves as having mental health issues. Right. Okay. So I don't know. I don't know what any of that really means right now. I'm just still, I'm trying to figure it out. And so I'm talking to people about it and I'm thinking about it and all that kind of stuff. And, and I know some people challenge me about it. Somebody actually sent me a message this morning and said, I wonder if by, you know, in the mental health warriors group, if by posting your, what you're grateful for and all this stuff, if you're causing damage to people because they might be looking at their lives in comparison to yours. I don't know. I hope not, but is it possible? I, I guess it, I guess it could be possible. And how, so when something like that happens, I don't really know how to think about that, you know? So it's like, you gotta, it's through conversations like the one we're having and, and talking to my wife and talking to people and reaching out and like to, that, that you figure out how you actually feel about something and make meaning from it. Right. But it doesn't happen right away. It's like this nonstop 
journey of exploration. And like life is a grand experiment or a series of never ending experiments. And if you look at it that way, um, it gives you, it gives you a lot of freedom to try things, to try an, an experiment and see what the experiment produces. And if the experiment produces something that you like, maybe you could do more of that. But if it produces something that you don't, then you can think about it and then do something else, right? So it's that's really what it's all about. And I'm really starting to understand that more and more and more. So well, that makes a lot of sense. Like uh, for myself, because I said I'm trying to get this coaching going and what have you. I was helping somebody with limiting beliefs, and when I, when the look on their face when they connected uh, was able to shift this belief. Mm-hmm. It was like, uh, an, an, like, like they, you know, something had been opened up, and they had a completely different perspective, and it was just fantastic to see their face. Yeah, when absolutely. I the, when I got off the computer with, from, with the with the person, I said to my wife, "I said, this is it. This, this, and that reaction is what I'm supposed to do." So I've gone. This, this is my f- focus at the moment. But there's lots of little things that are coming up now that are presenting curiosities to me and I'm, mm-hmm. and I'm sort of like delving in and you know, dipping the toe in. And yeah. So like you say, it's a journey, isn't it? It's, it's ongoing. It's because uh, a lot of people, I, I don't know, but my first con- interpretation of all this, when we first, when I first dug into it was that your purpose or life's purpose would somehow be divinely imparted upon me. And I don't know where I got this idea from. Like, I'd have a, a bolt out the blue and it'd be like, this is what you're supposed to do. Yeah. I thought really? that too. <laughs> Did you? Really? Yeah, totally. <laughs> I gotta, thought- I'm going to think, or I, I actually thought I was going to think my way to it. <laughs> like if I just analyzed it enough, it would, it would become super clear to me. Right. Yeah. yeah I can't, I, I thought it was just me that thought that. <laughs> I think, I think almost everybody thinks that actually. And if it, and if it doesn't divinely appear before you, it just wasn't meant to be. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it wasn't what I then realized was it was um, a conscious decision to follow something I was interested in, and then right. follow it, implement it, and act on it. And uh, and that's where the clarity and direction come for me personally. So, yeah, no, I think that's I think that's great. I think one one thing too I'd say about that is we teach guys in the masterminds to dream big and act small, right? So I think people what they get they get all worked up. I was talking to some guy about this the other day, like on a coaching call, and we we're. <laughs> We were talking about reading a book or listening to a personal development podcast. Cause I was like, seriously, man, like when I say change, I'm talking like you're already driving to work anyway. So instead of listening to like music, just try listening to a podcast, just try it for 10 minutes. Like it's literally. And so, but, but what he did was he turned this into, and this is what most people do. He turned listening to a podcast. He extrapolated this out into everything he wanted to change about that was wrong with his miserable life. So it became this like fucking gigantic, overwhelming. And I, I was just sitting there as he talked this all out and turned this listening to 10 minutes of a podcast into a completely life transforming, overwhelming obstacle with just complete fascination as to like, you know, because I've been there, I've been there. Right. And it's like, dude, I was actually just talking about listening, like try listening to 10 minutes of a pot. Like, what if you only did that? What if there's nothing else? What if that was more than enough for you to change tomorrow? You know, like that's more than enough, man. You know, and it's literally those. So I, I think it's really important to people. So when we, we ask people to dream big, we'll say, we'll say, 
think about something that's wildly important to you that you want to achieve and they'll come up with something. But what would be even better than that? And so they'll think of something even better than that. What would be even better than that? Now they're like, they're like, it might be from, you know, I want to volunteer at a homeless shelter to, I want to, uh, you know, set up a soup kitchen to, I want to create a culture in my community where everybody is involved with, you know, helping those less fortunate. Okay. So what, what's the smallest thing you could do to, to start moving towards that today? And they'll say something and it's usually like something fairly significant. What, what would be even smaller than that? And what would be smaller still? And what might be smaller still would be like looking on, spending two minutes looking online, finding up, finding a soup kitchen I could call, maybe not even calling them, just spending two minutes looking. You know what I mean? So it's, it's dreaming big, but the, the actions are tiny, they, but they compound on one another, you know? And I think that's really important because most people feel like to go from, you know, where you are right now to the utopia you imagine for yourself that, it, you know, there's a huge gulf between those two things. And, but really the only way you would ever bridge that gap is by taking tiny incremental like steps, you know? So I know it's, it's, it's mad the barriers people can put up. Uh, oh, totally. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. Trying to relate to someone in my family that I was trying to encourage to exercise and I said, it's as simple as walking to the end of the street and back, which is probably about, I don't know, 500 yards. Right. Which, but that then turned into, ah, yeah, well, I've done this and you want me to run a bloody marathon, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. Thinking, totally. No, I just said, walk to the end of the street and back. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, uh, yeah, a lot of this battle is waged in our brains. <laughs> yeah, it, it totally, man. Totally. Okay, Mama, thank you so much for your time today. Um, oh, would you pleasure. like to tell my audience where they could find you? Yeah, you can find me. Probably the best way to find me uh, right now is uh, uh, Mental Health Warriors. So you can go to mentalhealthwarriors.com. Uh, you can look at the podcast on iTunes, and we have a Facebook group you can search. And then if you're interested in our mastermind programs, you can go to adaptivegrowth.ca. And we really run we run six-month mastermind programs for men. Uh, actually, we're going to be launching a new one soon. And uh, we really focus on those three sort of pillars of emotional excellence, which is self-awareness, self-mastery, and uh, serving others. And it's really about we're looking for guys who want to live their life on offense, Right. That's what that's what we want. A mastermind is a, a community that'll to help take people from good to great. And if you want extreme, uh, uncompromising accountability in a completely safe place where you learn new skills um, and develop emotional excellence and financial excellence and health and wellness excellence, that's what the masterminds are, are about. So happy to talk to you about that, too. That's awesome. OK, so, Jason, one last thing. I'd, I'd like to acknowledge you and thank you. Uh, for your ingredients of authenticity and vulnerability. I think what you're implementing in the world serves to enrich and nourish it. So I'd like to thank you for that. Uh, you're very welcome. And I really appreciate you saying that. Jason, thank you very much for your time today. Okay, buddy. Take care. Cheers.